open us to encrypt us better to serve you guys. That's kind of what he does is run around different congregations now and help encrypting the elders and that was a blessing. So I'll let Everett take it over. I was beginning to feel left out. <laughs> I got a real long scripture reading. Second Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you indeed are, unless indeed you are disqualified? Thank you. Good morning. Eileen and I see it as a real blessing to be with you each time we come. We are a part of your extended family. I know there's a lot of people around the country that love the church here at Belgrade and I know around the state as well. And we're just glad to be a part of that extended family. We're a little disappointed. I brought a a gift, especially for Dan Staley, but I guess I'll give it to someone else. (laughs) Eileen and I are are finding ourselves with many opportunities to equip church leaders and and work with churches. And I I really love and appreciate Mark and Carl and the time they went. We worked hard for two days, so I hope that you will... Keep them in your prayers and encourage and just bless them and that they, they can continue to be a blessing for this congregation. For two months this year, Eileen and I will be spending one week with six different churches, four of them in Australia and two of them in Singapore. We'll spend a week with that church with a weekend kind of workshop and then I'll spend two nights with church leaders. That's in six churches over a, a two-month period. So in preparation for that, I'll also be giving a one-week intensive course uh, in Melbourne, Australia, that Christians from all over Australia will be attending. And it's going to be on growing spiritually with 2 Corinthians. So I'm working like crazy on 2 Corinthians. So I'm going to share with you one of those lessons uh, from 2 Corinthians this morning that I hope will be a, a blessing to you. I'm grateful you're here today. And it just says something to me. Maybe I'm misreading this situation, but I hope I'm not. That you have a good conscience. You're wanting to seek to to do good and to do God's will. That maybe you're not necessarily a born-again Christian yet, but you may want to be. Maybe you have been born of the water and spirit and... You know how hard it is sometimes to live up to the expectations we have for ourselves. Whatever that case may be, I hope that that the text that we're going to be looking at today will be a blessing in your life, that you'll somehow hear God speaking into your soul and into your conscience. Because as Paul wrote to a church in the first century, it was a church that, like every church, had people in it. So you know what that means. It had problems. It had its struggles. Not everybody's at the same place. Not everybody's matured in the same way. It just it had its issues, if you will. And some of them were pretty major. 
This is basically a, a third letter he writes to equip them, encourage them. I know it's called Second Corinthians, but one of them didn't survive. But this one is extremely helpful. In chapter 4, he's, he's talking about the Gospel because he's, he's wanting to lay this foundation for everything he tells them. Because whatever you do in a church, it goes to the basic common denominator that we all share. We've been born again of the water and the Spirit. We have sought to be disciples of Christ. And based on that, we grow to something else. That's kind of the, the baseline. That's the starting point. So he says, because of the mercy of God, we do not lose heart and we do not tamper with the Word of God. And I appreciate this church. It's a church dedicated to the Word of God and teaching and studying the Word of God. And there's a reason for that. Because without the purity of the Word of God, it's hard for you to know the right way. He also says he is commending himself to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And I want to appeal to your conscience this morning as we get into this, this text. Because he said sometimes our, our minds can be blinded. There's like a veil. And if we can pull that veil back a little bit and, and see the truth, let the light into our lives, God's going to bless us with that truth. It may hurt as much as surgery would hurt at times, but we know the outcome of that surgery is the reclaiming of our health. We can be back to our normal activities. But there's a little, you know, no pain, no gain. Somehow that takes place spiritually too. There are things that we struggle with and we wrestle with spiritually with the hope, and a pretty good hope, that things are going to be better. And God is going to bless us, but we need God in our lives to do that. There's a path that every Christian takes. And it's taking up our cross and following Christ every day. The death and burial and resurrection is, is fundamental to Christianity. You take the resurrection out and we're people without hope. It is absolutely necessary. But not just for eternal destination, but also for our own personal walk with God. We're told that baptism is, that's where we connect with that cross of Christ, that we're buried with Christ in baptism, and we rise to walk a new life. And here in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, the same God that raised Christ from the dead is the one that's going to raise you to new life. But we have to open our hearts and open our conscience so the Word of God and the truth of God can direct and guide us in our life. Which is pretty foundational. So in chapter 13... The verse before the verse our brother just read, chapter four, I mean chapter thirteen, verse four, I'd like to begin reading. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. So what Paul ends his letter with is going back to the very beginning for all of us as Christians, the death and resurrection of Christ. But to, he's he's kind of taking a a reflection of that, that what does that mean? When he died, he died in weakness. He had absolutely no power. He was completely powerless. You could not have been more powerless than the Son of God tried before Pilate, crucified by the Romans at Golgotha. No one could have been more powerless. No one could have been more mistreated 
There could have been no more injustice than the kind of injustices that Jesus experienced at the cross. No, no more. That was the worst it could possibly be. The good news is three days later, right? And He arose, not by His own power, but by the power of God. And there's a sense that that's the only miracle that was ever done to Jesus. All the miracles He did was for someone else. He was there to bless others and heal and so on. But this one was done by God to Jesus Christ. And He then becomes our Savior, our Redeemer. Then Paul applies it to each of us when he says, For we also are weak in Him, but in dealing with you, we will live with Him by the power of God. And then he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we, would, that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that you may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building you up, not for tearing you down. It's clear that when he uses the word you in English, as it's translated, that's the plural you, not the singular you. That's a problem for us when we read scriptures because in English we don't have a plural and singular you. I speak Arabic, they have it in Arabic, they have it in Hebrew, they have it in Greek. It's just English is inadequate. So if he's writing to all of us and he says examine yourselves to see whether in your faith, faith test yourselves, I would sure like to know how a church is going to take an examination. It's about like saying to kids in college who are about to graduate their senior year, you know, would you like to have a final exam or not have one? What do you think they would choose? I know what I'd choose. So how are you going to go about doing this examination? I'm not altogether sure. So what I'm going to do, and that's, a, that's certainly another, that's a different sermon than what you're going to have this morning, because if you turn over a page to chapter 12... It's clear there's stuff going on in this church that needs to be examined. For example, he talks in verse 20, there's quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. That's a mouthful. So somebody's got to start thinking, okay, what's happening in this church? And think about the church as a whole. But we're not here to do that this morning right now. What I'd like to do is take the you as a singular you. Because here's what I'm convinced of. Unless we as Christians do a better job examining ourselves, we're not going to be better as a church collectively. Do you say amen in this church? Alright, you agree with me. That until we as Christians examine ourselves, it's going to be... Excuse me, it's going to be very difficult for us to do better collectively. So I'm going to go for the singular you here 
as we proceed. Now, I don't know how well you do in taking exams, but I'm just calling this under examination. Uh, since Staley can use the internet, I do too. And, and this, is, uh, this is a free bonus, this, ser- this sermon this morning, is here's the takeaway for every student in the audience. I'm going to give you some ideas on how to do well on an exam. Here's five things. These are the things that are the biggest mistakes people make in taking exams. They don't get enough sleep. Number one, it's probably number one, two, and three at MSU, but we're just going to keep it number one. They stay up all night, don't sleep, and you can't think well the next day. Number two, no time-saving strategy. Here's a clear time-saving strategy. When you have a big test that's three hours long, what do you do? What's the best way to conserve time? Go through it, and the questions you're not sure of, skip them, and do the ones you know well. Then what time you have left, come back. Anybody? That's a good strategy. Otherwise, if you try to go one at a time, and you burn up all your energy, and you find I've got 15 minutes left, the ones you would have gotten right, you mess up because now you're rushed to get through it. Number three. Panic attack. Now that one, I don't know what to do with. But if you didn't study and prepare for it, you should have a panic attack. You deserve a panic attack. Number four, I have just retired from teaching graduate school for 36 years. So I've given my share of exams. And I always have one in one of my classes that has two parts. It's an essay exam toward the end and it has two parts. I can't tell you how many read the first part and answer it and never go back to the second part. And I know when I'm grading it, all I have to do is just circle the second part of the question. They don't read the question. They just go with what they can think of initially and then they don't go back and read it. Well, part of that is they don't have a good time-saving strategy because the next thing is... Have enough time to go back and review your answers. Because if you had just gone through... I'll give people credit if they take a stab at it because I can tell they got down to the end and go, oops, I forgot the second part, so they quickly put some things down and I can tell from their bullet points they knew the answer. And I am just known for all kinds of grace and grading. That's a joke. (laughs) So if you were to examine your spiritual life, would this have any bearing... Get some rest. And probably the best times for you to do some self-reflection and examination might be in the mornings. I realize not everyone's a morning person like me, but find some time where you're rested enough that you can ask tough questions about your own life and look at your own conscience. And develop some time-saving activity. Sometimes we, we waste a lot of energy on silly things. Look at some major things. And have people pray with you. Be in a a study group or prayer group, whatever it is, that that can help you process things and, and, and get encouragement and gain from each other. All that should be a part of your wanting to be under examination and be examined by God. So let's look at the text again. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Which means there sometimes you may not be walking by faith. There may be times where you thought you were doing well, but you just got a lot of room to grow. And then he says, do you not realize that Christ is in you? Well, obviously, I, I think 
the obvious thing is, as he's talking to the church, this is a church that belongs to Christ. So what we do is, is led by and committed to Christ and determined by Christ. Christ is, as you begin, Jesus, Jesus is that foundation for who we are. But so many times in our life, if we don't put our life under examination, we push Jesus out and then we bring him back in on Sunday morning for an hour. If I was Jesus, I'd be annoyed by that. And so a lot of times, the power of Christ in our life is important every day of our life, particularly the tough times in life. And so he says, thank you, brother. So he says, unless you don't meet the test, surely you'll see Christ working in your life. So we're going to do a test this morning. You can go home and tell people you went to church and you took a test. I'm never going to do that again. But here it goes. We're going to do an exam. The Bible said examine yourselves, right? So we're going to do what the Bible says to do this morning. We're going to do some self-examination. So I'm going to walk you through. I'm even going to go easy. I'm going to give you multiple choice test. That's a joke too, right? Some of the hardest tests I've ever had have been multiple choice. Tricky as they can be. Here are two things that if you are mature in Christ and you're mature as a human being, you're going to be doing and you're going to do it well. So I guess a question I could ask is, what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of person would you like to have somebody married to? Are you the kind of person you'd even want to be married to? What kind of person do you want to be remembered as after you're dead and gone? What kind of person do you want to be? I think if Paul were here this morning, he said the best way to be the kind of person you want to be is to be a Christian. That's going to be the best way. There's no other avenue to become what God created you to be unless you're baptized in Christ, you make a commitment, and you're always setting goals to grow spiritually. And you can be the best person God wants you to be. And I think I'm going to show you how. I'm going to give two examples. Mature people stick to a job and finish it. Kids don't often do that. And it's hard sometimes to teach kids to stick to a job and finish it. And it's really tough when people commit to do something and don't finish it. You can't trust them. You can't depend on them. They're not responsible. And it's sure hard to keep a job if you don't stick to it and finish it. Whatever you've been assigned to do. Secondly, is to endure difficulties, discomforts, hardships, and be persistent in the face of adversities. That's who, that's, if I were to define, if someone were to tell me to grow up, that's the definition of grown up. Babies and immature people, all they do is complain and fuss and get mad about things that don't go their way. And they have no tolerance for discomfort, right, and pain, or struggles, or hardships. Go back and read 2 Corinthians and look how many times he lists his hardships. I'm going to pick one of them. But he listed three or four times all the stuff, all the stuff he had to go through, and yet he constantly said, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a good, I'm encouraged, I'm, I'm positive in heart and perspective. I'm thinking, boy, you've been, what you've been through, I think you could write a book about, you know, and complain about everything that's come your way. But he didn't. Go to chapter 12, verse 10. I'm going to pull one verse out. I'm going to back up one chapter and and just say, okay, Paul, if this is what you want us to do, 
here's the test. I'm, I'm going to just give ourselves an exam here and see how well we do. He said, for the sake of Christ then, which means you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, it's going to be hard to do this. But if you are in Christ, for the sake of Christ then, he says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. That one's a hard one to understand. And I'm going to take the exam from there. Because if, if the life and, the, and the, the teachings of Paul and the truth that he's giving us there is in my life, it's going to convict my conscience, my heart, my soul. And so I've got a series of questions. So are you ready for the exam? Here comes the test. All right? We're going to be under examination. Now, I don't know if you've noticed already, I kind of have a double meaning here. Under could also mean not enough of. We are all under-examined. We are great at examining everybody else. I imagine I could just randomly pick most of you out and you can tell me what's wrong with everybody else in this church like that. But when I ask you, okay, but what have you contributed to it? You just draw a blank. Like, it's not me. It's got to be everybody else. We are all, we under-examine ourselves and we over-examine, we over-function in examining everybody else. Don't say an amen. Somebody may hold you to it. So here's what we're going to do. This is about you. Don't think about anybody else in this room or anybody in your family, anybody you know, when we go through the test. Okay, you ready? I'm telling you, you're at the edge of your seats. You're ready for this test. Here we go. Let's take the first one. He says, I can cope with my insults. Okay, how do you respond to insults? A, do you just ignore them? B, do you respond with another insult that's better than the one you got? Or worse than the one I got, I guess the way it is. Do you just cut that person off in a conversation? Or do you learn with humility from the insult? Now, all of those who would say, A, please stand. No, just kidding. What would the flesh, what would the world do? In fact, what do you, they, they make soap operas out of one, two, and three, A, B, and C. That, that's, that's, that's the drama of the world, and people somehow find that entertaining. But people who've died to self, who've crucified self, they realize that you can't make it through life and not be insulted from time to time. And chances are, there might be 20% of the insult that may have some truth to it that I need to hear and humbly accept, but I can return good for evil. Someone who has Christ in them will do that. Maybe not the first time, second time, but the more that Christ influences a life, the better they get at returning good for evil. The second one, what about hardships? How do you respond to hardships? Do you accept them as a time to depend on God? A. B. Do you complain to everyone? C. Do you get angry with God and probably everyone? Or D. Do you fear something will go wrong anytime so you avoid anything that would cause change? Because part of hardship is change, right? 
Things that change in our life bring hardships. So we kind of think that I can avoid all these hardships as I avoid change. The problem is change happens in spite of what I do to try to avoid it. So, A, B, C, or D. Now, note, I'm not asking you what is the right answer. I'm asking what do you do? What is your typical response? And if you end up making a 50 on our exam this morning or a 60, that's okay. Now you're going to go away appreciating God's grace. And secondly, you might find something you could work on to be a blessing to everybody in your life. Because your life is now under examination. And only you can do it. Notice he said, examine yourselves. Test yourselves. won't do any good for somebody else to do it for you. Only you know your conscience. You know your heart. You know your soul. You know what you need. Own it. And because of the resurrection of Christ and the power of Christ and the grace of God, there is nothing, no matter how bad you do on this exam, there's no reason you can't have hope. That's, you know, again, what kind of person do you want to be? Let's go another one. Let's go back to the text. He says, again, for the sake of Christ, I am content. Notice he didn't say, I'm avoiding it. I'm letting it determine everything I do. No, I'm just content because I know just in a position of humility, these things are going to come into my life. I'm just going to have to deal with these things. Whether it's weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, so on. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You're not going to be strong by always defending yourself, returning insult for insult like the world tries to convince No, from a position of weakness, God takes care of amazing things. Because you see these things that we looked at, like hardships, let God take care of some of it. It's not all up to you. When it comes to insults, let God take care of it. It's not all up to you. Because even when you return an insult for an insult, does that make it any better? Is that going to help have a better relationship? Are we going to honor God by that? God has His way of holding people accountable. And if you read these two chapters, He also says, because of the fear of the Lord and the reality of judgment, I really need to do some examination of my own life. Let's look at persecution. I realize we live in a free country, but in some ways it's not free. And Christian values are being persecuted. So when we're persecuted, as He said, I, I am content with the persecution. But when you're persecuted, how do you respond? You forcefully fight back? Kind of return, you know, blow for blow? Or do you do as Jesus did to his accusers before he was crucified? Or C, do you discredit your enemies and make them look like fools and idiots when it doesn't help? Just tearing people down doesn't really build you up and it's not the Christian way of doing things. Or you just avoid anyone who's not like you. Which Jesus would say on the Sermon on the Mount, that's equivalent to putting your light under a bushel. But if we bring light into a dark world, it's going to come by being weak, appearing weak. But let God fight those battles. We may pay a price at times for our faith, but that's okay. God is still in control.
When I am weak, then I am strong. Let's look one more at weaknesses. How do I respond to my weaknesses? Do I accept? <laughs> I just expect everybody else to accept them. You know the phrase. Well, that's just the way I am. You're just going to have to accept me. I, mm, what kind of person do you want to be? If I want to be stronger, then I, I, I should not expect everyone else to just cater to me and my weaknesses. I've got to grow up. Do I attempt to hide them? Every one of us hides our weaknesses. We can do it with makeup. We can do it with clothes. We can do it with all kinds of ways. We're going to go to hide our weaknesses. We can deny they even exist. And that's a challenge when someone confronts you and several people confront you with weaknesses and you just deny it, you blow it off. Makes it kind of tough to keep relationships strong. Or you can accept support and grow stronger. I think Paul, as he talks, read 2 Corinthians, look how much Paul talks about his own weaknesses. And you're going, this is an apostle of Jesus Christ, someone Jesus specifically called and talked to, and yet look how open and transparent he is about his own weaknesses. It's pretty powerful. He's transparent. It's incredibly powerful. He's vulnerable. There is spiritual power in vulnerability that the world will never understand, and that is the cross and resurrection. He was vulnerable, and God's power changed everything. I want to go to Jesus just for a second, because this has to do with how you go forward with this, if, however you feel about how you've done on this little mini quiz this morning, as you examine yourself. Jesus was, was with the, the apostles and the mother of two of them came to Jesus and said, you know, got down on her knees and said something. And Jesus said, well, what do you want? And she said, well, when you come into your kingdom, I want one son on the right and one son on the left. In other words, I want my boys up front. And I'm, my, when I first read that, I can remember first reading I thought, I bet James and John... They, the sons of Zebedee, I bet they were embarrassed. Like, oh, mom, why'd you do that? But the very next sentence it says, then they said, the boys were actually in on it and probably put mother in because they knew if mother went to Jesus, Jesus would say, you know, first respond to her. And Jesus' response was, you don't know what you're asking. You can't take this cup that I'm about to drink. You don't know what you're asking. And then he goes on and he pulls them together because once the other apostles heard that, obviously they were jealous. They were upset at these two apostles trying to get ahead of them in the kingdom of God as if there's a... (laughs) What they didn't know is pecking order in the kingdom of God was martyrdom. It wasn't seats beside a throne. It was martyrdom. (laughs) That's why I said, you don't know what you're asking. But then he said, here's what you need to understand as a mature disciple of Christ. And it has to do with the motive of why you want to be a better person. He said, at the end of the day, so you also, when you have done all that you are commanded, all you need to do is say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. I would probably translate unworthy a little bit differently because it, it doesn't, I mean, it's, it's a, a statement of humility, but it's also, it probably would be better understood as, 
We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Can you ever pay your mother back for all that she's done in your life? You don't deserve all that she's done, but she's, not. she's loved you unconditionally. So whatever you do, you can say, I'm just doing my duty as a son because I will never be able to fully pay her back. Or your dad, or someone who's given a lot and put a lot into your life. So at the end of the day, why we do this is so we can just say, I did my duty. It's not for praise. It's not for an award, a reward. It's just simply, that's what a mature disciple of Christ does. I just did my duty. Whether I had persecution or insults or hardships or whatever, I'm content with that. And Paul got it. And he wasn't even there the day that Jesus taught this when he said, I've just done my duty. So one... More question. Why do you want to serve God? Is it to be recognized as somebody great and good? Or is it because you feel guilty for all you've done and you're trying to pay God back for all your sins? Is it because you see it, that's just your duty as a disciple of Christ? Because of God's love for you through Christ, that's what you're going to do. Or you want a reward. We debated, we're both educators. Do you give your kids a dollar for every A they make when they bring it home on a port card? You know, some, that's right, I can see heads nod and head, you know, like, that. we're not going there this morning. That could divide the whole congregation right there. The thing is, all three kids aren't alike. One needed some kind of motivation. The other was didn't need any at all. It didn't matter one way or the other. So, you know, God responds to us differently. But again, as mature disciples of Christ, I think you see the right answer. That may not be where you are today, but you can grow into the right answer. Do it because that's your duty. When you're asked to serve in this church, when you're asked to serve as a Christian in the community, when you're asked to sacrifice in your family, you do it not because of the reward you get, you do it because that's just what Jesus would do. And that's what a disciple of Christ does who died to Christ and been born again. I'm sure you're glad the sermon didn't go more than 30 minutes. Because I could come up with a lot longer test. But I just picked the things that Paul had in that previous chapter, pulled them out, and said, think about these things. And look at this. How how do you grow deeper with God and, and deeper in your walk with God? So now I want to read it in terms of you individually. Although Paul was writing it to the whole church, I don't think I'll have a problem if I apply it to each of us individually. So each of you, examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Notice he didn't say perfection, that you've arrived, that you deserve recognition. No, you're just in faith. You're walking by faith, not by sight. It's still not clear how long it's going to take you to perfect different things in your life. But in humility, you're walking in faith. Test yourselves. And if you fail, that's okay, he says. But at least you know what you need to work on. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? If you're not a Christian, Christ can come into your life and be born again of the water and the Spirit, be baptized into Christ. He says, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Maybe you've been baptized, but the world is in the, you know, the the cares of the world have just pushed this out and you need to regain the priority that comes from Christ living and ruling in your life. 
There's a phrase we Christians use that's often hard to understand. He's not just Jesus, Savior, Christ, the Messiah. He's the Lord, Jesus Christ. And if He's Lord, that's a great foundation for you to make the progress that God wants you to make. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. If you are thinking about your own spiritual journey and want to become a Christian, we'd encourage you to go to the back and talk to some of the church leaders. Um, If you want some prayers to help get your life back on track, you feel like you didn't do well on the exam this morning, and you want a makeup test, that's called the grace of God. The grace of God. And do it. And keep doing His will in your life. Let this song be an encouragement to you that you won't under-examine your life, but you'll keep your life under the examination of God's expectations for you as we stand and sing this song.